God speaks his word, uh, and our, our Old Testament scriptures are from Deuteronomy, and it's chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Probably very familiar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the New Testament scripture is from Mark, chapter 12, verses 28, 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard, from, heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning, worshiping God and uh, being back up here in the pulpit. I have a couple confessions to make before we start. Don't worry, nothing, <laughs> nothing too earth-shaking. The last time I preached, uh, first, well, first off, I, and I always say this, that uh, God has always been very faithful to give me something to preach on, a word to preach on, and whether it's something I hear someplace that months in advance, he's given me a word, and I just know someday I'll give a sermon on that. I can just tell that that's, what it, that's, that's the word. And, and the last time I preached was, was back in... Um, December, January, he did that. I decided I wanted to add to it and pull in more, more verses and go, and it just, it didn't go like I had hoped it would, and it didn't go as well. So I learned a really important lesson there is stick to the word that he gives me. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be pulling in a lot of, not going to be pulling in a lot of scripture today. There is a lot of scripture references, but they all tie back into the one central theme that was read this morning. The other confession, or at least I'm going to ask in advance, um, because Lori is running the slides, and uh, Gary and I tried to put slides together ahead of time, which meant he needed them days in advance because he was going to be gone. And, and if you know me, and you know I'm a last-minute person, so there will be some things that uh, I'm going to talk about that won't be on slides, and if our order gets messed up because we're both following through this, I, I know you'll be forgiving about that. So uh, thank you for that. So let me, let me open with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. For the opportunity to be here, Lord, the opportunity to hear your word and to preach your word, Lord, let the words that I use this morning be your words. Holy Spirit, uh, guide and direct those, uh, Lord, and let them go out and be fruitful, Lord, and let them work in people as you would, Lord, especially as we learn how to love you. In all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So. This is uh, part one of part two, so yes, yes, I am back next week. Um, question is whether you will be or not after today. Uh, but 
the part one, and you can guess how this is going to break down. So we're, we're going to be focusing on the first part of what is, I'll call the great commandment, the most important commandment, the greatest commandment. It's multiple uh, ways it's been described. But before we start, have you ever really wondered, have you thought about whether God wants us to love him? Now, I know that that may sound like, well, yeah, of course, but have you ever really thought about that? And if he does want us to love us, how are we supposed to love him? Fortunately, we're not left to try to read God's mind in this. Now, this was the first place that I was going to input something about marriage and reading someone's mind. But I thought, no, it's not, I'm not going to do it. So I, I, I left it out here. But the whether God wants us to love him or not, whether we should love him, is clearly answered in Scripture. It abundantly gives multiple places where God talks about loving him. And clearly, he expects us to love him. And the how we are to love him, well, that's what today's message is about. And God spells it out for us in the greatest commandment. Now, I've always, honestly, I've always been a little intimidated by the greatest commandment. I think it's because of all the, um, with all your statements. Um, it's not very many other commandments in the Bible have with all your in front of it. Now, we've got the Ten Commandments, and I can I was going to say, I'll go through and say, I do a pretty good job of this and this, but as I started to do that, I realized I don't do such a good job at this and this and, and that. But at least with the Ten Commandments, it's, it's, it, they, they seem achievable. They, we're able to get them, but, oh, I'm intimidated by the all-in aspect of the greatest commandment. Um, I don't know about you, but I fall short. I mean, well short of loving God with all of my heart with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. I can't even get through a minute of my personal prayer life without being distracted and pulled away from God. And I'd be embarrassed to tell you how long during a day I might go and not even think about God. So when God put this, this passage on my heart to give a, a sermon about this, I knew he was trying to tell me something, which he usually almost, no, he is always trying to tell me something when he puts a word of scripture on my heart. So let's dive into this. And uh, maybe at the end, although still challenging, might not be as intimidating for us. So as Nancy read that scripture from Mark, let me give a little bit of background. Jesus has been, is teaching and in, in, in the public area and the, the religious leaders are trying to trip him up. They're trying to test him. They're trying to get him caught in his own words to, to be able to use his words against him. First, the Pharisees go and they try to, they, they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. And he talks about, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. Shuts them up and off they go. The Sadducees show up and their big thing is about the resurrection and they give him this ridiculous scenario to try to show about the resurrection and he show, tells them, you are so off base, you are so wrong in how you're thinking about this. And he quiets them up. So then the, the scribe comes up and it's not clear, and it's, let me start with this, a scribe is an expert in the law. He knows the commandments backwards and forwards, all of them, and they've studied them. And it's not clear in Mark's version whether the, he, that scribe is sent to try to trip Jesus up, he's trying to trap him or not. The other versions, and this does appear in other places in the Gospels, does seem to indicate that he is uh, trying to trick Jesus. But he responds, the way Mark puts it, is that Jesus saw that he answered them well meaning how he, he put each group in its place. And it seemed like he respected that. So he asked Jesus this question. What is the most important commandment? And we saw how Jesus responds. 
Now, I'm thinking that a good part of you would, if I, if I said to you, what is the greatest commandment, you would have given, you've been able to give me a form pretty close to what we saw today. You might not have gotten all of heart, mind, soul, and strength in there, but you probably knew that. But I'm wondering how many of you, before Nancy read it, knew that Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. And he is from that person, that part in Deuteronomy. So we're going to spend most of our time there looking at that part, what Jesus quotes, what he brings forward into the New Testament. And he's, he's quoting what Moses is talking about in the Old Testament, what God told Moses to say. And we're going to look at the words and the meanings that they have because um, they're off, the, there's often significant meaning in the Hebrew words that are used that don't translate very well into other languages, other English. But there are th- themes that you're going to see that run throughout that um, it's not like each sentence builds upon the other. There's themes that run back and forth and, and are mixed in. So let's dig in. So the passage from Deuteronomy, it is called the Shema. It's a prayer, and every good Jew knew this prayer. He said it, he and she said it every morning and every night, and many people said it throughout the day. It's called the Shema, and it gets its name from the first word, listen, or hear. Shema is Hebrew for listen or hear, but it's more than that. It also means to pay attention, to focus on, and not just that. Not just to pay attention and focus on, but to respond to what you hear. This is from Psalm 27, 7. Hear, O Lord, shema, O Lord. When I cry out, be gracious to me and answer me. Listen to me, O Lord. Hear me. Act on what you hear by being gracious to me and answer me. When I was uh, listening to a podcast as I was doing the research on this, there was a woman that was talking, and she clearly was a mother because she talked about getting her child's attention and gently taking their face in her hands and looking at them and saying, I need your eyes. You know, give me your eyes. One, meaning that she wanted the child to make sure to listen. Now, in my house, that probably would have been, will you look at me while I'm talking to you? It's the same thing. Maybe one's a little gruffer than the other, but it's, it's, I need you to pay attention. I need to know that you're hearing me. That's what we're talking about here. Um, you want to know that they're going to act on what they've heard, to do what you've told them, to listen and respond, or to listen and obey. So that's where we start on how to love God. Shema, listen and obey. This is from Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, if you will indeed shema my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Listen and obey. There is no separate word in the Hebrew language for obey. It is all part of listening. They're the same, they're two sides of the same coin, listening and doing. And it really takes an effort to listen and give action. This is from Deuteronomy 4.1. And now, O Israel, listen, shema, the, the statutes that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. Shema, listen, the emphasis is mine there. Shema, listen to the statutes that I'm teaching you and do them, listen and obey. And as a result, that you may live. Listening leads to obeying 
leads to life. And this is from Deuteronomy 5.1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Listen and obey. Listen with their ears and, with, and then respond with action to show that they've heard. Now, this is the second place I thought about inserting something about marriage, and this time I decided to do it. Listening and obeying. Listening and, and responding that you've heard. And I, I thought about this, and, uh, we, and look at our relationships. That your spouse tells you to do something or asks you to do something, and I'm not talking about monumental decisions. I'm just talking about normal, everyday life. They ask you to do something. Clean up that area. Pick up your socks from the floor. Uh, do whatever it is. And you say, yeah, 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 I got you. I hear you. And you don't do it. Right? What does, that, what does that tell the person? Yeah, I heard you. The sound waves from your mouth hit my ears and registered in my brain, but that's as far as it went. There was no response. There's no doing. But then, but when we think about that, what is that saying to the person? I heard you but I cared not enough to listen, right? I care about you, I hear what you're saying, but I don't care enough to do what you ask me to. There's got to be movement with the hearing. God's asking us to respond to him. Are we listening? Are we obeying? So, this is the first part. So, hear, O Israel. Listen and obey, O Israel. Now the next part of the Shema is the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, if you notice in your Bible, and you, you know this, when the Lord is capitalized, all the letters of Lord is capitalized, it's referring to God in his personal name, Yahweh. Um, and the, the, the Israelites didn't record it as Yahweh because they didn't want to take his name in vain, so they created another method to do that, and just through the translations in our, in our versions now, it comes out as Lord with all capital letters, but it's Yahweh, the, the great I am, I am, or I will be, Yahweh is your God, Israel. Yahweh is one. Now, he's not, they're not trying to make a philosophical argument about God and, and the Trinity and being one entity here. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about God being the God, their God. It's a, it's a pledge of allegiance to the Lord God of Israel, which excludes allegiance to any other God. That God is one. That Yahweh alone is Israel's God and not any other. And this goes back to the first commandment about loving the Lord your God and that you shall have no other gods before him. God wants Israel, Israel to listen, to proclaim, he's going to proclaim something about himself, that he is their God alone, the one true God. Before we even get to the part that talks about loving God, he wants them and he wants us to know something about himself and their relationship with him. God knows that they've come out of Egypt with its pantheon of gods that they've been exposed to and that they're going to be entering lands and exposed to people from other uh, nations who worship numerous gods. And knowing that the pull that these will have on Israel to worship them and draw them away, he wants them to hear, to pay attention, to live, knowing that Yahweh is the only one that they should be worshiping, the only God that deserves their attention, the one thing that should be at the center of their lives listen and to love him. And if you really hear that Yahweh is God alone and you know it in your heart, then it will lead to a life oriented 
to loving the one true God with everything. An undivided attention leads to an undivided love. But is God central in our lives? Are we giving him our undivided attention? Do we allow other gods to become a priority in our lives? I'm not talking about Baal or Isis or Diana or the the goddess. I'm talking about money, status, work, family. Are we allowing those things to be gods in our lives? Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, said this, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Let me say it again, see if I can get it out without stuttering. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Uh, Another phrase that I like that helps pull this together from John Mark Comer in his book, A Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, said, because what you give your attention to is the person you become, Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. It's pretty stark. Your heart is where your treasure is. How we love God will show up in our actions. So we need to prioritize God in every aspect which will then lead to prioritizing our love for him. That means in your spiritual life, you put nothing before the one true God. In your emotional life, you put nothing before the one true God. In your physical life, you put nothing before the one true God. In your intellectual life, you put nothing before the one true God. Is he being pursued first in your day? Pursued first in your relationships? Pursued first in your family? Maybe at this point we should answer the unspoken question here of why we should love God at all, right? Should we love God? John, in his, in his book, his Letters to the Churches, 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. And in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, Paul, in writing to the church, says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And in his letter to Romans, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we love God because, one, he created all things, including us. We love God because while we were yet his enemy, while we were yet opposed to him, he loved us. We love God because of his great mercy. We love God because of his amazing, life-changing grace. So should we love God? (laughs) Absolutely. And the most important commandment begins with knowing the Lord is our God. We recognize who he is that he is the one true God and worthy of and deserves our love. Brother Lawrence was a French monk who uh, is famous for his sayings about um, experiencing the presence of God in every aspect of life. He 
His job was in the monastery kitchen. He washed dishes and did the menial chores that went there. But everything he did, he tried to make it uh, to experience the presence of God. And this is what he said. We have to know someone before we can truly love him. In order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. We can't love him as we should if we don't know him. We have to know God and know who he is, and having that knowledge of him should motivate us to love him. From what God has done for you and me, we learn to love him. And love him with all that you are and all that you say and all that you think and all that you do. We don't compartmentalize God. We have to love him with all that we have in every aspect of our life. This is from 1 John, again, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way, same way in which he walked. keep his commandments. This won't be the first time that we talk about commandments. It won't be the last time. God shows his love towards us through his grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We show our love to God through obedience to his commandments. So listen and obey and know that God is primary. Know him. Let nothing else in our lives take a more important role. And the next step of the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the, your God. Love. Hold on love. I'm going to come back to that because it's the focal point of this whole commandment. But let's first talk about how you should love God. You love God with all your heart. Heart. The Hebrew word here is love. It is more than the muscle that pumps the blood throughout our bodies. The Israelites of the Old Testament didn't really have a concept of the mind. They believed that all intellectual activity took place in the heart. It's where you understand and make connections. Wisdom dwells in the heart. It's where you think and make sense of the world. It's where we feel emotions, feel pain, a broken heart, feel fear or joy. It is the center of intellectual and emotional life, the center of a person's inner life where you make choices motivated by your desires. It's the center of all parts of human existence, our feelings and our desires. We still use heart in that kind of context today. Think of these phrases, the desires of your heart. Speak from the heart. Comfort your heart. I had a change of heart. These are all referring to more than just the muscle in the body. Now, you may have noticed at this point that the Shema from, the, from Deuteronomy, it only talks about heart, soul, and might, or strength. But the passage from Mark, when Jesus quoted this, he added mind to the list. So did Jesus add something new to this? Remember, Jesus spoke Aramaic, and the, and the Old, New Testament was translated in, in by Greek, into Greek. There's not an equivalent word in those languages 
for the word lev, which means heart and mind from Hebrew. So most commentators believe that Jesus added mind, added, I use air quotes for that, to get to the same meeting so his audience would understand heart and mind. Because that's what the Israelites understood it to be when he says lev. So, you love God with all your heart, all that's on the inside. The next, love your God with all your soul. The Hebrew word for this is nephesh. It doesn't really mean soul the, the way we think it is. The, again, the Israelites didn't have the concept of a, of a soul that was a separate part of us. They looked at it, that's more Greek, comes from the Greek um, aspect of it. But, the, um, but people are nephesh. It's, it means living, breathing, physical thing. Um, some say it's ac- the actual literal meaning is throat. Um, but it's, it, it comes to mean the whole body is a human living physical organism. So we're called to devote our whole physical existence to our creator. Every fiber of our being, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place, offering our entire being with all its capabilities and limitations to love God. And you can understand when they talk about the nephesh being throat, that everything our life depends on goes in and out through our throat. Breath, food, water. But it refers to the whole person. So love God with all your, your body, with all your person. And the third, love your God with all your strength or might. Strength. The Hebrew word here is meod. It means very or much. It's an adverb. It intensifies the meaning of other words. So in Genesis 1, after God saw that he created things, he called it good. But after creating man and woman, he regarded it as meod good. Cain wasn't just angry at Abel, he was meod angry. And in the story of Noah, the floodwaters were constantly rising, making it meod powerful over the land. Now, if you were going to say, try to take this and say, convert it, you'd say that, um, from the Hebrew, as best we can, you might say that to love God with all your muchness doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we're talking about everything we've got. Um, part of the other definitions of this word can mean force, abundance, exceedingly. It's actually everything. The point is, everything in your life, every moment, every opportunity, every ability, every cap- capability, capacity, possibility, offers a chance to love God and honor the one who made you. It is a call to love him with all the number of ways that you can show him. So, we are to love God with our heart and mind, meaning everything on the inside. We are to love God with our whole physical being, every fiber in our being, and with what we can accomplish as that living being. And we are to love God with everything else, everything that is ours, our money, our time, our resources, our abilities, our possessions. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, we've seen in part how we are to love God. Let's go back and talk about what it means to love God. So the word love, Hebrew, it is ahava. It means affection or care for another, but it is shown through action. It's not just a feeling. 
the root word of ahava is ahav, which means to give. It is an act of doing. Love is giving. Not only is love giving, but the actual process of giving develops the very connection between the giver and the receiver. The more giving that a person does, the greater the connection. When we give to another, we give what could have been utilized for, by ourselves to further our own self-interest. Instead, we choose to take the thing or object and instead use it for someone else. Meaningful relationships are those in which mutual giving takes place. The giving may be physical, emotional, intellectual, or a combination of any of them. But without giving from ourselves, no relationship can be enduring. Giving is the vehicle for love. It's not something that happens to you. It's not something you fall into. But it's a condition you create when you give. You don't fall into an ahava. You give love. I say again, ahava is an act of doing something. It's not just a feeling. Ahava is also connected to appetite. To ahava God is to crave him, to crave him to, and his word. To ahava God, you must walk in submission to God's will and crave that your life is pleasing to him. When you love him, your deepest desire is to connect with him, to be in relationship. To Ahava God means to give ourselves over to him, to surrender, to relinquish, and to abandon ourselves to him, regardless of how we feel, what we think, or what we desire. It means to set aside our life so that his life can come forth from our heart. How is this type of love possible? It starts with the Shema, listening and obeying. And we start loving him by obeying him. Listen and obey. We obey through doing the things that he's told us to do and not doing the things he told us not to do. In other words, we follow his commandments. Again, John from his first book to the churches, 5.3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Jesus made this abundantly clear to his disciples and to us. From John 14.15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To keep his commandments, you have to know his commandments. You have to know what God says about loving your neighbor. You have to know what God says about marriage. You have to know what God says about treating your spouse. You have to know what God says about being single. You have to know what God says about raising your children. You have to know what he says about work, about friendship, about sex, about money. Once you know them, it's then about following them. Again, Jesus from John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And again, just two verses later, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. We're not talking about salvation through following the law. Oh, no. Salvation is only po possible and available because of the grace of God. What we're talking about is what we do in response 
to that grace. Love Jesus and thereby love God. Obey what he told us to do. And Jesus and the Father will make their home with us. That's overwhelming. That's that's amazing. Your submission to the lifestyle of the scriptures is proof to the world that we love him and are committed to God. And when God makes his home with you, you are bound to know him more and know him better, which leads to greater love for him, which leads to more obedience to his commandments. See, the cycle continues. This phrase is from Deuteronomy. Again, much from Deuteronomy is Moses is giving the word of the Lord and preparing the Israelites to enter into the land. He wants to set them up for success to live, as we talked about earlier. But this is from Deuteronomy 12, 10, 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. This is all about God loving us and wanting what is good for us. Our response is to love him with all that we are. So, how do we do that again? Sometimes it seems overwhelming. A few practical tips that I, I can give you today that I didn't come up with on my own. I took them from someone else. But they all come from that portion of Deuteronomy that we read. Following the Shema, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Well, the first part, it, but he's, God sets out ways that we can do that. First part, though, is from verse 4, where he says, Hear, O Israel. Israel is called. As God's people, they are called to listen and obey. They are listening together. So my tip, the tip to you is be together with others in studying God's word. Are you involved in a Bible study? Are you working with one or two others to work your way through the Bible? Are you in a small group? Um, There's men's connect. There's women's Bible studies. Be with others studying God's word. From verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So intentionally, commit the words of God to your heart. Commit the word of the Lord to your heart. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorize some passages. One of the things that I do when I try to memorize a passage is to work it into prayer then too. That helps me memorize it. Pray passages from the Bible, Scripture. Next, from verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You have to know them to be able to instruct them, to pass them on. And not just to your children, but to anybody who doesn't know. If you don't have children, there are other people in your lives that don't know the word that you can instruct them, to teach them the word, share the word with them. And also from verse 7, and you, shall, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Intentionally make God part of our conversation. Intentionally make God part of our daily rhythm and our rising up and our sitting down. This from verses 8 and 9. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Place the word of God where you can see it. A three-by-five card on your mirror, a posting note on your desk or at the uh, bottom of your monitor. Listen to podcasts on your way to work or home from work. Get God's word in front of you, either through your eyes or your ears. Now, some additional quotes from Brother Lawrence, because I just, he is so on top of this about being close to God that I, there's three of them here I wanted to share with you. In order to form a habit of conversing with God continually and referring all that we do to him, we must first apply to him with some diligence. But that after a little care, we should find his love inwardly excite us to it without any difficulty. Next. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress and in times of great joy. And lastly, Think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. He's always with you and near you. Remember that. Loving God isn't just a 15-minute devotional in the morning and then not thinking about him the rest of the day. Loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength begins with a life oriented toward communing with God. It doesn't happen overnight. As Brother Lawrence said, the more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. From Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. It's surprising to me how many verses use heart and soul in the Old Testament. But God promises his people that when they intentionally seek him, they will find him. Each morning ask yourself, what can I do today to know him more, to pursue him more? to seek him more, to be all in on loving him. Oh, and there's one more really important way that we evidence our love for God. And that's the topic of next week's sermon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that loves us. Oh, Lord, where would we be without that love? Thank you, Lord, for that, for that overwhelming grace uh, that you provide. Lord, help us to love you like you call us to, Lord. Give us hearts, Lord, minds and souls and strength, Lord, that all of it can be devoted to you. Help us to not be overwhelmed by that, but to understand that it's a day-by-day thing, Lord, and each day increase in us uh, our love for you. Uh, Bring to mind the commandments and help us to obey them and follow them. Oh, Lord, and to just give ourselves over to you completely. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've, you've taught us that you, um, if we obey the commandments, if we follow your word, that you and God 
Father, will dwell within us. Lord, we crave that. We ask that. We seek that uh, this morning and every day.